You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! Live on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to a new term of the Sports Hub on Fresh Air with me, Peter Johnson. Joined as usual by Alfie Steiner and also this week by Scarlett and Cade Abel. Uh, Alfie and I will be giving a review of last weekend's FA Cup fixtures, including my take on the Manchester United-Liverpool match. But Alfie, if you can bring yourself to talk about it, we'll be talking about the Arsenal-Southampton match. We've also had the big breaking news today that Frank Lampard has left Chelsea, perhaps the uh, the big sporting story of the day. Well, definitely the big sporting story of the day. So we'll have a chat about that. And then also our two sides going head to head at the weekend, Arsenal against United in the Premier League. So we'll have a bit of a chat, of a chat about that as well. Uh, Scarlett's joined us to give a review of uh, sport at the University of Edinburgh. I believe there's been quite a lot going on over the uh, winter month, Scarlett, if you just want to... Uh, well, welcome to the Sports Hub, first of all. And oh, thanks. To, uh, just want to provide us an update with everything that's been going on in the world of sport at the University of Edinburgh. Yeah, sure. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. It's an honour. Um, yeah, so basically this week... Um, Basically, today is the very start of the SU Ball Awards announcements. So um, it's very exciting. I'm kind of clutching my phone, waiting to see when the awards are going to be announced. Um, so today um, is, I think, three awards are being announced. It's kind of for best female athlete um, and other things like that. So it's going to be three people. So obviously, very exciting. Um, and in the news of like trampoline, I don't know if anyone's a trampoline fan, but there's a trampoline club, Edinburgh. And they've kind of done a similar challenge to like the History Boys RFC. Um, they've kind of done this, uh, well, currently doing a fundraising challenge, um, the race to Fort William. And pretty much they, in 10 days, are hoping to run cycle or whatever. I think it's run and cycle, um, 428 kilometers. Um, and so far they've raised 479 pounds um, and it's fab. And it's all kind of all in aid of hopscotch. Um, this kind of uh, this charity um, and their motto is giving kids a break so yeah it's really great like considering no one is really able to do sport at the moment people are finding a way to get around it um so yeah that's the the roundup from me um yeah that's fantastic i've got so i've seen a lot of the um the uh, the trampolining challenge on um on, on social media it's kind of inspired me to try and do some kind of a charity fundraising i'm feeling a bit like a bit useless having uh, <laughs> not attempted any charity there myself over lockdown but um Maybe that's something to think about in the coming months. Now I'm, now I'm stuck at home. I can't go back to Edinburgh. It'll be something to keep me cheerful. So I mean, most people have a trampoline, don't they? So, I mean, I unfortunately don't have one, but if I did have a trampoline, I'd want to be bouncing in the garden <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's uh, maybe for the summer, maybe not for the uh, end of January, but I'll be I'll be the world's best trampolinist come summer. I'll be uh, <laughs> get one up in the garden. Uh, it was brilliant. Thank you, Scarlett. I'll let you get back to uh, what, you, what video are you editing? Um, it's the video you're in, actually, Peter. A little bit of oh, is promo. It? Yes, it's a, <laughs> it's um, your interview. I think this is a massive new bit of news as well. Um, Shona McIntosh, who is an Edinburgh University student, um, has been selected for the Olympics actually to do rifle shooting. And she, Peter, had a lovely interview with her, and I've been editing it all day. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's going to be on EU TV, um, the Edinburgh University Television um, Student Television uh, sort of Society. So yeah, that'll be coming out later on. So. That's what I'm going to go and do for you, Peter. So. Everyone keep a lookout for that quality, yes. bit of, uh, quality bit of material that will be coming out on EU TV uh, in the next day or so, won't it? Yeah, once I finish. Yeah. But yeah, it should be coming out um, Wednesday, hopefully. 
Well, there you go. Date for the diary. I'll definitely be uh, not listening to it because I hate the sound of it. I'll be I'll be admiring it and watching how many likes it gets. Definitely. Hmm. So uh, brilliant. Right. Thanks for joining us, Carl. I'll let you get back to that. No, thanks for having me. Um, yeah. Have a good chat. <laughs> sure, we will. Bye. See you later then. Bye. All right, Alfie, let's get started. Business as usual then. Hello again. I've not seen you since start of December, end of November. Yeah, it's it's been a while, hasn't it? Plenty of plenty of all sorts going on in the in the footballing world. But yeah, no, good to be back on to have a little chat about the proceedings that are going on at the moment. I mean, uh, we'll obviously talk in great deal detail about Manchester United and Arsenal, but but their fortunes have both improved considerably. Um I think when we last spoke, it was about the time United got knocked out of the Champions League. Um, that seems a distant memory now. And uh, yeah. Arsenal have started winning. So yeah, well, we lost, we lost to your to your faith your your favourite team, Southampton, on uh, on Saturday, and hopefully that won't be repeated tomorrow evening or Tuesday evening because we've got them in the league again. But yeah, we 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 needed to start winning games, otherwise. Uh, it was looking really quite dangerous terrain for the club and Arteta and everyone. So thank God for that. And then you're at the you're at the top of the league or something like that. Or I'm not uh, holding out hope of staying there for too long. I'm just trying to mention it as many times as I can while it's actually true. Yeah. I can't see it lasting. Um, well, I think we'll start. It's kind of not really fit in, fitting into the uh, itinerary for the show that I prepared last night. Uh, but we saw this morning or earlier today that Frank Lampard has... Uh, left Chelsea, which said we can't really start anywhere else, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I just wondered what your initial reaction was on that. Because I've got to say, I wasn't surprised, but I was certainly from a sporting point of view, I'm pretty disappointed, to be fair. Yeah, I think I've been, I mean, like you, I wasn't surprised at all. I think over the last sort of two to three weeks, I've been saying, you know, if he doesn't win this game, then that's that. Um, I think, you know, the Leicester game was was the nail in the coffin, really. They yeah, outclassed yeah. them, outplayed them. And yeah, you know, it is a bit of a shame on a sporting level because he's a young manager and his first, you know, I know he was at Derby and his, in his first big, big proper job at, at Chelsea, obviously the team that he played for for so many years and, you know, his all-time leading goal scorer. But it just didn't look like it, it could have continued. And perhaps he, he wasn't destined to stay at Chelsea for, you know, years, years to come. I mean... I think his his appointment and his time at Chelsea probably suited the period that the club were in. And having spent, you know, what, over £200 million in the summer, if it wasn't, if they weren't getting closer to the top of the league, then it was inevitable that this was going to happen. And I think the writing has been on the wall for a, for a while. And he's probably been set up to fail to some extent because, the, you know, they invested so much money. So, like you, wasn't surprised, but bit sad because I don't mind Frank Lampard and I also didn't mind him as a manager of Chelsea I wasn't really too I wasn't really too worried about Chelsea as a, as a team and now I think you know they've got so many good players and they've obviously got Thomas Tuchel coming in perhaps you know we'll start seeing how good those players are and, and Chelsea will slowly but surely start coming back from this but yeah big news I think um certainly in terms of the the appointment of a German manager is um there must be some kind of thinking behind that in terms of trying to get the best out of uh, Havertz and Werner, um, mm. which obviously not materialised in any way, shape or form so far. Um, so how much do you think that maybe influenced the, the decision to get a German manager in? Oh, I think it's, it's it's definitely been on the cards. I mean, the fact is they were they were talking to Thomas Tuchel, you know, they, they offered the job supposedly 
to um, Ralph Ragnick, the I think he's the sporting director or was previously at Leipzig in Germany. They also made contact with Julian Nagelsmann and apparently within the remit of sort of searching for a new manager, having someone who could speak German was massive because obviously they invested so heavily in these two German superstars at a time when ordinarily, you know, Havertz probably would have gone to Bayern Munich, Werner to Liverpool, but they capitalised on the market and they weren't, they haven't been able to take advantage of that as of yet. I only noticed yesterday as well, I know they, they beaten uh, one, <laughs> which I'm sure probably, um, probably escaped some people's notice, but yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I think perhaps the most, the, the question that I'm kind of most concerned about now is what next for Frank Lampard? Because it's a bit like we said about Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, if he gets sacked, I mean, where does he go from there? Obviously, that's looking far less likely now than it once was. Um, but you know, it's certainly true for, for Lampard. What's the next step for him, do you think? I mean, presumably, this has probably taken its toll <laughs> uh, emotionally and physically. So I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a little break. Maybe we'll... Well, I don't know, actually. Maybe he's not the sort of character who will do the round robin of sort of appearing on Sky Sports on a Monday night football. But I wouldn't be surprised if he takes some time and then I'm sure he'll have plenty of options maybe in the Premier League, abroad. I'm sure he's, you know, he's ready. He's he, he's a manager now. I think it was almost as if we sort of forgot that this was his first proper job and he'd only been in management for about a year prior to managing Chelsea. You know, we forget that he, with the squad available to him last season, got them finishing uh, fourth, you know, to the FA Cup final. You know, they qualified for the, the, the Champions League knockouts this season. He's He's been... Very good with their young players. So I'm sure there's plenty of clubs around Europe in the Premier League even who would be very keen to secure his services. Um, who who those clubs are is another question. Well, um, I was having a little think earlier, a little chat, a little chat with my with my dad before. Um, and we kind of I don't know, I think the kind of the idea of uh Lampard to Celtic would be uh, would be an interesting one. And then you've got kind of the Lampard against Gerard dynamic, the kind of however long Gerard chooses to stay there. And uh, if there's any manager in the world of football who deserves sucking right now. Um, I just hate to suggest it's Neil Lennon. Um, so that's uh, that's something I'd be quite I'd be quite interested to see. But I mean, whether it materialises or not, um, yeah, that isn't. There'll definitely be interest from. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Celtic sort of look at him and see what Gerrard's done at Rangers and think, well, why can't Lampard do this at, at our club? Given that he's actually got more experience as well, I'm sure there's plenty of. You know, you look at the likes of. I don't know, a couple of London clubs, you know, Roy Hodgson's time's running out. I'm not saying that he would go to Crystal Palace or West Ham. I know they're doing a lot better under David Moyes, but those sorts of clubs I'm sure would be very interested in Lampard for sort of medium to long-term future. Probably won't happen straight away, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in at the top level quite soon because, you know, I think the, the Chelsea job was, was never going to last for too long and he can consider himself slightly unfortunate, but I think that's inevitable when you take a job like like the Chelsea job with Abramovich above you. Yeah, I mean, just one final point on this. Um, what do you think? I mean, we've already kind of discussed Tuchel a little bit, but do you do you think he's a particularly inspiring appointment? Particularly, I mean, of all the managers Chelsea have ever had, you know, the likes of Mourinho, Ancelotti, uh, Lampard, even coming to the club as a club legend, already a huge popular figure. It doesn't strike me as he, he he stands any chance really of lasting longer than the standard 18 months to two years compared to some of the other people before him. 
Yeah, I mean, I was reading, I was reading something that you know Gary Neville's reaction to it today, and I th- he was saying that he doesn't expect Thomas Tuchel to to survive much longer than the eighteen months, like you say. I mean, is it that inspiring? Probably not, on the basis that he's not in the job. He was sacked by PSG. Um, he's notoriously quite quite a tricky character, maybe alike to Antonio Conte. I mean, maybe short termism. You know, I think the only thing that Chelsea are concerned about right now is sort of getting their their expensive assets playing again and ensuring that they get to the Champions League. And I think Thomas Tuchel, he's got experience doing that with PSG, Dortmund. He could get something out of the German players. So again, I don't think the sort of question of longevity is really one. You know, it's it's like it might be uninspiring, but I think Chelsea just aren't that type of club. I think if they if they can make the decision to ensure or how they feel ensures that they can get Champions League, then they'll do it. And to be fair to them, it's worked pretty well over the years. They're pretty, they're pretty brutal, um, but it reaps the rewards. So yeah, it's not that inspiring, but look, if, if Tuchel was going into any of the other jobs, maybe having not just been sacked by PSG, I think it would look quite different because he is sort of, he's got that pedigree about him as one of the best European coaches, but we'll see. It's exciting because, you know, he's, you know, um, all the big names for the Premier League, isn't it? So yeah, exactly. And he's worked with Klopp, and you know that brings another dynamic, and yeah, it's exciting. All right, so let's move on. Uh, just cast our minds back to the the last couple of days, really. Uh, the FA Cup fourth round. Um, usually, uh, I'm kind of disappointed to see any breaks in Premier League, particularly obviously at the moment with uh, a certain silence of the league. Um, but it was a it was a, an entertaining weekend of, of fourth round fixtures. To be fair, there's not really anywhere else to start than uh, Old Trafford. We'll get to uh, your 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 boys in a, a short while. Uh, say on that one, really. <laughs> we'll go through that. All right, we'll just leave that. Just leave part, part of that for the time being. Um, we'll start with uh, Manchester United against Liverpool. Um, both scrapping over a, a home tie against West Ham in the fifth round. That was a what was at stake. Um, I'm sure that was all that was on their minds when the uh, when the draw was made, of course. Um, it was quite a reversal of the incredibly drab league fixture the week before. Um, mm. Liverpool, I thought, ended up playing a much stronger team than they might have done otherwise because obviously the league's starting look, looking like it's slipping away. Um, but as it is, they won neither of the, the league or the cup fixtures. Um, I think it's fair to say it may be a little bit early to write Liverpool off, but... Um, the chance of winning the domestic trophy this season are fading fast now, aren't they? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, they obviously have been in a pretty, I mean, completely uncharacteristic slump of form in the league. And clearly to sort of get out of this funk, you know, Klopp's tried to change various personnel. I mean, dropping Salah and Firmino last week against Burnley. And then starting with a, a far stronger side in the cup suggests that he, you know, he's, he's desperate to sort of regain some momentum either by freshening it up or, you know, playing a stronger team than anticipated. But it just looks like they're not they're not the force of of last season or the year before. I think you know we've spoken about Van Dyke being out before, but you know they're just the it just shows how dependent perhaps they were on him and then what that means for the midfield. Um, and yeah, it looks like they. They are, you know, they're out of the FA Cup. You don't really see them getting too far in Europe on current form. Right. And again, a lot of the big European teams are being slightly inconsistent at the moment. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll win the league. I think Manchester City are, are sort of ahead of them in that sense. However, you know, they're still what? How many points off top, given how badly they've been playing? Well, absolutely, yeah. You know, they're still very, very much in with chance, just on current form, and because we're so not used to them being, you know, average or not very good, um, it sort of becomes a catastrophe. And I think it, it might be to an extent, but yeah. I mean, so I mean, you got to consider the fact. I think, really, just to put it into context, put some like numbers and some empirical facts to it. They've got one win in the last seven. Um, their only victory in 2021 was against Aston Villa's kids in the third round of the FA Cup. Um, so they may not be in a proper crisis. I mean, they're still the champions of England. They won the Champions League a couple of years ago. They're still fourth in the league. I mean, it's it's no disaster. Uh, but I mean, it's kind of relative, isn't it, to the, the levels they've hit the last couple of seasons? Um, to say that maybe they are in a little bit of a little bit of a crisis at the moment, potentially. Yeah, it's definitely you know they're they're in a crisis. I mean, how significant that crisis is in the grander scheme of things. I mean, rel- to, uh, relative to sort of the levels they've they've established over the last few years, it's it's unprecedented. Um, but. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see them bounce back. I also think this team, I mean, by and large, it's sort of the same team that has had the success that Liverpool have had for the last three years or so. It's like the fourth year. Um, I know Jamie Carragher was saying how, you know, they've had that front three for this is their fourth year together and they're sort of just look like they're running out of a bit of steam. You know, I know Diogo Jota was brought in, so it is perhaps coming to that end of that cycle. I mean, we saw it in Man City to an extent last year, um, just slowing down a bit. Um, and you know, they haven't invested as a for a in a replacement for Van Dyke. And yeah, it just looks a bit flat and stale and unimaginative. And yeah, it is the first proper challenge you'd say of Klopp sort of having once he settled. This is the first biggest challenge for for him. Um, but I'm sure you're enjoying their <laughs> their struggles. Yeah, I mean, I like anyone. I I've enjoyed watching them play over the last few seasons. Um, you know, I think it is a shame that they they are an incredibly good footballing team on the day that we've not seen. Well, since they put seven past Palace, to be fair, so they've clearly still got it in them. Um, but I think it's 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 having the same clear best starting eleven is obviously a huge advantage for short period of time as they've shown over the last few seasons but then it comes a point where maybe when you do need to have that rotation to be able to fall back on um, mm. or that you might even need to fall back on in the case of the Van Dijk injury that they've just not really had that kind of depth that it's not really mattered the last few seasons because they've had 11 players who've been playing to an absolutely ridiculous level um, but mm. it's always going to be reached a stage where that will come back to bite you and it does look like they've reach that stage definitely um, well just on on that as well you know they signed Diogo Jota and quite quickly it was clear that he was gonna probably play a bit more football than a lot of us anticipated you know he was starting yeah. instead of Firmino I remember him starting instead of Salah at one point once Salah had COVID and then he obviously got injured so I think those front three were aware that there was someone in there who could come in and and play on the left right in the middle and then he got injured, and I think that definitely, definitely has uh, disadvantages Liverpool. And you also compare the sort of attacking options that Liverpool have to example, for example, City. And I know, you know, on on paper, Firmino, Salah, and Mane as a three in the, in their prime um, over the last few years have been as good as anyone. But you look at the 
sort of wealth of options that City have. Liverpool's backups are sort of Shakiri and Origi and Minamino, all right players. But then, you know, City have Aguero is not fit, Gabriel Jesus, uh, Sterling, Mares, Foden can play up there, De Bruyne can play up there, Bernardo Silva, Ferran Torres. It's just a bit ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the strength in depth, as you say, is, is an issue probably for Liverpool. That's what it comes down to, I think. I mean, that's why I can't really see see past City for the league. I mean, they're sitting there nice and pretty in second with kind of that game in hand that they're just waiting to just unleash on everyone and suddenly go top. And then I can't really, I can't really see uh, see anyone catching them then. But I mean, in fairness, I think that's one of the uh, the ways in which Manchester United has improved, just to get it back to them. Um, the fact that they have got players on the bench they can turn to to come and change the game. I mean, obviously, it's unusual for Fernandez to be starting on the bench. Um, but they do now finally have players who they can start as an alternative to him. Mm. Uh, the likes of Van der Beek. When he does play, to be fair, I think it's excellent. And then they have got the option to bring him off the bench. Um, the likes of Tellez, obviously, he's not played too much, but you've paid £10 million for Tellez to kind of get an upgraded Luke Shaw, basically. Um, Bailly, Lindelof, Maguire, they're all reasonably solid now. De Gea's back to kind of where he was. Um, obviously, Henderson as well. Jory's still perhaps out on him, but he's still a strong, strong backup player. And I just think generally just kind of all round United have got perhaps one of the most rounded squads we've seen for for some seasons in the Premier League now. Yeah, and it's definitely, I, I agree with you. And I think it's important to consider, you know, when you were, when United were sort of struggling a couple of months ago, this, you know, this is the same squad, um, but you're just playing a lot better now. Or, you know, winning games and therefore your squad appears strong and, and it is within its own right. But when the results aren't going your way, then you look at the squad and you're like, well, these guys aren't doing it. And when they have, when the team's playing well, then I feel like the fringe players or, you know, the rotation players can come in and tend to perhaps play a bit better than when a team's struggling and that sort of negative momentum spills over into, you know, cup competitions and that sort of thing. But yeah, you know, Cavani looks like a like a very decent alternative or starter to Martial. Anybody predicted, but um... yeah, and Greenwood's looks like he's you know after a period of quiet and obviously that thing that happened with in in on international duty, he looks like his head's down. Um, you know, he's working hard. He's got a couple of goals recently, I think. So you know, you're looking, you're looking pretty good, and you've got some great players. Obviously, Pogba playing excellently. Um, Fernandez and Rashford have had a few rests recently, Martial too. So, yeah, you're you're looking good to be fair. Yeah, I think it's to be to be fair. I think that the turning point was probably um, a couple of good results at home. Um, you know, late November, December kind of time. Because as you say, uh, it's a lot to do with confidence and winning. And obviously, within the first few games of the season, it became clear that we could go behind away from home and win. And then that just came, kind of became a trend, really. But every single game that plays and you go behind away from home and turn it around. And then every single game they seemed to play at home, there was still a bit of a, oh, not so good at home at the moment. But then once they got a couple of their wins under the belt, confidence mm. started to grow. Um, and I, I, st- I still don't go into any game confident of victory. I mean, go behind against Fulham and you still think, you think it's going to be one of those days again. Um, it's still not quite sunk in that there is a team there who can actually, you know, turn a game around and have got the, yeah. uh, the skill to do so. Um, but I mean, if we if we just take stock of where we are in the Premier League, obviously we've we've touched on it a couple of times. Um, 
that particularly up towards top end. We've talked about Liverpool's dip, and I've said I'm not holding out too much hope, and I've still not, still maybe not got that much confidence. Um, but what are you, what are you thinking at the moment in terms of the title race? Do you think it's going to be another uh, United City clash? Um, I mean, my money's on City to win the league. Oh yeah, uh, and in terms of who it's between. I mean, I still think it could be any... I think City are favourites, but, you know, I think United, Liverpool, probably Leicester and Spurs will be in and thereabouts. I think it's going to be relatively tight. I think City might pull away slightly, but all those other teams, as much as I don't think they're going to win the league, you know, if they keep playing well and winning games like, you know, United are at the moment, like Leicester are at the moment then why not sort of keep pace for as long as you can? Um, but yeah, it's exciting. It's nice to have it a bit more open and and see if if anyone can sort of, yeah, whoever whoever keeps going and is more relentless will 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 do the business. I think the last couple of seasons we've had kind of a weird situation where it's been about it's whoever's going to, whoever drops, it sounds a daft thing to say, but it's whoever drops the least points will win the league. So you just assume that the top two teams are going to win every week and it's just whoever can avoid the most... Mm. street results whereas now I think it is more of a case of it is a case of having to try and score points I don't I think that all the top teams I think there's less confidence in each of them that they're gonna I don't think there's any team that you would bank on winning every single week anymore um oh yeah definitely. I don't think there's there's as I don't think surprise results are as much of a as much of a thing anymore I don't think there's any apart from Burnley obviously beating Liverpool at Anfield that was kind of the one kind of Liverpool losing at home maybe the one situation you would struggle to see um, but now I don't think there's any ne- we've seen anyone can beat anyone in previous seasons we've seen it again this season I don't think there's any I don't think any result for the rest of the season really come as a surprise to me now to be honest Come on.
we exhausted uh, to talk about Liverpool just there. We kind of uh, reached reach a natural end. Um, so now we'll turn to uh, Arsenal against Southampton. Um, I'm sure you're not short of opinions. You might not want to t- discuss them much, um, but I'm sure you're not short of thoughts. Um, in fairness, it was Arsenal's first to beat in seven, um, which is quite a different picture from when we last spoke. Uh, it was also, also it was the, the first goal conceded in over 500 minutes which shows a, you know, a certain amount of defensive solidity is creeping in. Um, so yeah. where do you stand on it, really? Look, I, would I have preferred to win the game? Obviously. Uh, would I, if I had the choice, would I take a win in the league against Southampton on Tuesday or a win in the FA Cup? I'd take the league win. Uh, if we end up drawing or losing the game against Southampton, then you know maybe I'll feel less good about it. But I think it was inevitable that the team were to be rotated I think a lot of players who came in didn't really perform that well. Southampton were quite good, probably deserved to win, but mainly because we didn't deserve to go through. Uh, they got quite a, a fortunate goal. Um, and I think, you know, Arsenal have been the FA Cup team for, for a while now. And, you know, it was great winning it last year. And we, I, I've really enjoyed sort of winning it over the, few, over the last few years. But I'm not necessarily too fussed because... I was expecting rotation and yes, I would have liked fringe players like Willian and Pepe and the rest of them to, to step up and, and see the, see Southampton off, but it didn't happen. Southampton played full strength. They are one of the better teams in the league. And yeah, you know, I'm not too disheartened by it. I think there are certain things which are slightly frustrating, but look, if, if we, We'll, we'll put out a strong team tomorrow and hopefully everyone will have a bit of a rest because of the, you know, the crazy fixture truncation this year. And hopefully I'll be feeling a bit better about it. But yeah, and a loss tomorrow, a loss on Tuesday, sorry, would be, uh, <laughs> would be quite disappointing. Having gone to Southampton twice and then losing twice with two different teams would, would sting a bit, to be fair. I mean, you've kind of got a, a strange relationship with the FA Cup. I thought it was quite, quite a strange thing to read. Obviously you've won it, I think it's four times the last eight seasons. Uh, but you've also failed to make it to the fifth round three times. So you can't, you don't really do quarterfinals or semifinals. You'd rather go the full way or just don't bother with it. Yeah. Uh, which is quite a strange thing, really. Um, but I, I suppose we, I think generally it's fair to say things have probably started settling down on the pitch. Um, I think the main talk that I wanted to have tonight is more to do with things happening off the pitch. Um, We've got we've had a couple of incomings. You've been one of the busier teams actually in the in the transfer window, both in and out. Um, I mean, let's start with Mesut Özil. Obviously, he's gone. He's gone to Turkey now. Um, he left Arsenal mm. seven and a half seasons, wasn't it? Um, so obviously, I can't imagine you were particularly surprised to see him go. But what are your emotions really? Um, I mean, relief definitely because. I mean, to be honest, I didn't think he was going anywhere until the end of his contract in the summer. Um, so it's quite a relief to see him go for whatever reason, terminating contract, you know, paying him for the rest of his contract, whatever the breakdown of it was. I was pleasantly surprised that we were able to shift him um, and that he was willing to go because it just seemed like there was a standoff between the club and, you know, him in terms of he wasn't being picked, why that was. So I'm relieved that for both the club and for him, he can play football. We can stop having the Mesut Ozil conversation every week and having a player training with the first team who's 
being paid £350,000 a week and then hasn't played a competitive match for a year. So relief and surprise in a way because, yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen, but also a bit of regret. It is quite a sad thing having basically since he signed that, that record deal back in January 2018, he's barely played for so many different reasons. He hasn't hit the levels that we you know, expected. And, you know, he's a very talented player on his day. And I think consistency probably was the, was the main, was his main downfall. And so, yeah, you know, as an Arsenal fan, as a faithful sort of quite emotional Arsenal fan, obviously it's quite sad to see a player who was supposed to, you know, elevate us to the, to the top and it just never quite happened. And I think you can definitely attribute that to the sort of the way the club's been run and the sort of recruitment around Ozil when he came in in 2013 but I think it had to happen. And so I'm, I'm glad that we can draw a line under it now. And best of luck to him and Fenerbahce. I was glad to see him leave on, on good terms, ultimately. I mean, we had a thing with Gunasaurus, didn't we? It was perhaps a highlight of the last few months, to be fair. Um, it was amusing. And it was, t- it was touching in a way as well. Um, so it was nice to see him. And obviously he said as well, he seems grateful for Sam Arsenal. He wasn't kind of leaving, kind of mm. so glad to leave, at least publicly. He was... Uh, he was very positive about the club, which I did think was a, a nice way to go. Yeah, he, he's he's very, I mean, him and his, and his team are very <laughs> media savvy. So I, I'm not surprised with that, that he's, he's always been very good on his social media channels and the way that he presents himself to the public. And obviously he's just such an incredibly popular sort of global uh, sports figure that that is obviously very important to him. But yeah, like you, it's good that it seemed to end on amicable terms and we can just, you know, save a lot of money every week and stop talking about something that probably has been one of the most boring, if not, I mean, it is very interesting, but like repetitive conversations we've had for the last, you know, everyone in football has had for the last two, three years. So, yeah. Let's just finish on Arsenal then. And we'll have a, we'll move on to something different. Um, had a couple of incomings as well. Uh, loan signings, not permanent. Um, neither of which I really saw coming. I don't know about you. You're probably kind of more familiar with transfer rumours, that sort of thing, than me. Mm. Uh, but Matt Ryan come on loan from Brighton. I imagine that's as a second choice instead of Runison and um, Odegaard as well on loan. Is a, a surprise. But I imagine quite a pleasant surprise. Yeah, so the Matt Ryan one, I mean, admittedly, did come out of nowhere. It's quite funny, actually, because yeah, Arteta had had suggested that Arsenal were in the market for a for another keeper because clearly Alex Runa Runison wasn't quite up to up to the required level. Um, but I didn't really know who it was going to be. And one of my mates out of the blue sort of suggested. I think a week before Matt Ryan signed, he was like, "We should be looking at Matt Ryan. He's been dropped by Leicester. Probably get him on the cheap or on loan." Lo and behold, it happened. So yeah, I had no idea that one was happening. Makes a bit of sense, but you know he is a backup, and he was dropped by Brighton this season. He, I think, statistically is like the second worst keeper in terms of goals prevented and shots saved and whatnot um, this season. So that's the sort of uh, level we're getting. But the shots a replacement. It's probably an improvement on a. Yeah, he's, he's experienced enough. And so I think it's it's fine as a short-term option. Odegaard as well sort of came out of nowhere. He was always mentioned as a target that might make sense, but without any concrete like um, interest. And then I think 
he decided that he wasn't playing enough at Real Madrid. Obviously, he had a really strong season at Real Sociedad last year. And it looked like he was going to go back there. But apparently, you know, the club sort of Arsenal got in there. And I think it makes sense again, a short loan. We need player. We need a player in that position as cover, rotation to start. You know, I know as, as well as Emil Smith-Rowe has been doing, we don't have another player of that of that calibre um, or that skill set. So, yeah, it makes sense. So hopefully it can be less like a Denis Suarez because it does have a bit of a Denis Suarez ring to it. But hopefully it can work out for him um, and for the club and it will be a, a fruitful loan. And, you know, he's a, he's a good player and, and hopefully he can, he can bring that to the Premier League. I mean, I... Um... I saw that he was he was planning on going back to Sausage, as, as he said, but apparently the uh, the turning point was a phone call with Arteta. He's clearly very good uh, as kind of uh, selling his project that he's got going on at Arsenal, and that was what really persuaded Odegaard to uh, to come and visit. Kind of showcase his talent, I think, in the Premier League was the the main kind of selling point from Arteta. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and he's a young he's a young player, and so why wouldn't you if you have an opportunity to come to Arsenal? Who you know, are probably going to try and make it into Europe in whatever way. They've got the Europa League, you've got a guarantee of minutes and proving yourself on a personal level. It, you know, it works for all parties. It works for Real Madrid, it works for the player, it works for Arsenal. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good move, I think. Stop.
right, so we'll uh, we'll move on to the preview of Arsenal against Manchester United. Um, first of all, just to to break it up a bit for a little bit of variety, um, we'll do a couple of uh, other little just like bite-sized chunks on uh, other sporting stories from the week. I think you've got uh, you just were going to say just a little bit on the the McGregor fight, weren't you? Just to give us a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, I, I can't claim that I'm a I'm a massive UFC uh, fanatic, but I I saw that McGregor was was back in back in action uh when was it was it on saturday or, or something like that over the weekend and uh, again i don't follow ufc but i'd realized that I, mcgregor hadn't fought competitively I, I think since he lost to what was his name khabib habib That's yeah he had a long spell uh, yeah he had a long, long spell out and you know he got beaten quite badly last time and it was all about the retirement and you know he's made so much money and maybe he's he's slightly past it and then obviously sort of came out of nowhere for this for this fight and and lost so you know I again don't know too much about McGregor but it seemed as if this was this was not really in in the plan to to lose um this this bout because I think he'd beaten this guy before his name what Dustin Poirier yeah um, so yeah, that's what I sort of uh, that, that tickled my fancy in terms of a little sporting nugget to to share on the show today. I think it was again. I can't claim to be an expert on it, but I believe it was his first defeat by knockout. Um, so it's perhaps the worst possible outcome. If you're going to lose at all, then don't lose it by knockout. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it really was his worst performance ever. Um, I saw something. He's kind of like lying there on the floor. It's like, oh god, I've got to fight Logan Paul now or Jake Paul or whichever, whichever the two it is because I know one of them wanted to. Uh, Five. So that really would maybe be the uh, the ultimate humiliation for him. Mm. Um, but I don't know. You know, he, he provides some good some good memes on uh, Instagram. So if he, you know, if that's what you know, if we keep getting that off him, then I'm not really too bothered. To keep He's definitely an entertaining figure. That that's yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I don't think we can claim to have too much more to say about that, really. Um, but it was certainly certainly provided a little bit of entertainment over the weekend. Um, mine, just I wanted to say a little word. Um, Darts Masters is on next week, 29th to 31st of January. Um, I was quite late to see in terms of darts. I got, got in really big in it uh, last year. I was watching the World Championships throughout uh, December, start of January. Um, I don't know if you uh, if you watch it too often, but it is an absolutely fantastic uh, spectacle on the telly. Um, so it's the top uh, 48 in the world will be competing in the, the Masters next week. Um for, uh, 17 through to 48 playing each other in the first round and then the seeded players enter in the in the second round uh, Peter Rapp's 2020 world champion he's playing one of Ritaiski or Whitlock in the second round uh, new world champion first ever PDC world champion from Gerwin uh, Price uh, we'll be playing one of Joe Cullen or Stephen Bunting um, and that's the Masters that's the first ranking tournament first major tournament after world championships take place in 2021 uh, three-day event you can guarantee I'll probably be watching all three days of it um, <laughs> because it's just one of them it's just so quick so fast moving so many characters yeah. um, I don't know how if you've ever watched it if you've ever taken much of an interest in it um, I've never I've watched bits and pieces of the darts I mean I, 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 fan, I quite fancy myself on the dartboard with a bit of practice but uh, <laughs> yeah no I, I've never been a, a massive a massive uh, observer it's one of them, I think, if you can go, even if you don't really know what's going on, I think when you see everyone like dressing up and singing, all the alcohol, all that, it's one of them where it's just a completely different thing if you're able to go. Yeah. It's a bit different playing without a crowd, because obviously I think even more so than most sports, I think with football without a crowd, you kind of get used to it after a little while. But I think it is one of them that definitely misses the presence of the crowd. 
Uh, but there are a lot of big characters within the sport that do kind of make up for that. Mm. Um, so it's definitely one I'd recommend to anyone who just wants something a little bit different. Yeah, um, yeah. Price as well as a new world champion is an incredibly kind of divisive, controversial figure, mm. uh, which has a little bit of spice. Um, so that's kind of my my little... Uh, Your non-footballing segment. My non-footballing segment. Before <laughs> we segue back into football, just now, uh, to have a quick little chat about Arsenal against Man United before we finish. Yeah. Um, so just to give a bit of context before we start the discussion, uh, both sides are in identical recent form, actually. Uh, 13 points in the last five. Uh, obviously, this game's at uh, the Emirates, and you've got to kind of consider Man United's very impressive away form. They've only dropped two points, and that was on the road to Leicester on Boxing Day. Um, but before this recent run, one of you've, you've obviously you went six games unbeaten before the FA Cup game against Southampton. One of the few league victories you had before that was actually against United. So I think mm. if you look at you know all things considered, these are two sides very much in the ascendancy. Um, it's perhaps quite difficult to read. Ben. I I agree. I think in recent times we've seen we've fared pretty well against United. Um, it's not know. one of my favourite fixtures, that's for sure. Yeah, which is strange because for so long it was a guaranteed loss for Arsenal. It was one of my least favourite fixtures. <laughs> but then we had a few wins. I remember late Wenger era, beat you maybe once or twice under Emery. And then Arteta's first win with the club, obviously it was uh, the corresponding fixture last season. I think it was actually last January, we won 2-0. And obviously we beat you at Old Trafford um, at the end of October, I think, or 1st of November. So that was a pretty big moment. But then obviously our, ta- our form tailed off um, horrendously and, and we lost quite a few games that ordinarily we might win. I mean, big games, that is. I mean, we beat Chelsea at home recently. So it's a weird one because I think you're so good away from home, but I feel like I've not yet seen us really like lose a home game, touch wood, to like... United or Chelsea or Spurs. I mean, City have probably been, I mean, they, they did it to us in the Carabao Cup. But yeah, it's a, it's a strange one to read because I think we'll, we'll be up for it, um, as will you be. And, it, you know, there is a game for both of us uh, midweek. We've got Southampton, you've got uh, Sheffield United, is it? Um, so I can't pretend to know for certain, but... Uh, yeah, I think you've got Sheffield United on Wednesday. But yeah, it's it like you say, it's a difficult one to sort of predict or... We'll see what 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 might happen because last time you know uh, no one was really expecting, or maybe they were the result that happened last time. It's kind of strange when I look at we 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 said a couple of times now about Arsenal's form picking up in twenty twenty one, but on the face of it, for me, um, you'll I'm sure be able to shed more light on this. Um, it's difficult to see kind of where this turn in forms come from. I mean, the likes of William still poor, Pepe obviously massive signing, not really. Um, uh, pulling up any trees. Aubameyang and Lacazette still maybe not fully on song. The other, the, the main shining light I've seen is obviously Smith Rowe. Um, but you know your recent upturn in form can't just be down to him. I mean, what what else do you think really is going on? Well, I mean, it was it was as simple as that Chelsea game, and obviously Chelsea have not been great recently. But I think the confidence that we got from from winning a big game at home 
having you know we completely surprising lineup we we had Pablo Marie uh center back he's he's now injured but he made a big impact him and Rob Holding actually combining to sort of form a really solid um central defensive pairing Kieran Tierney's form's been excellent these last sort of month or two and you know, lo and behold, Granite Xhaka after his uh, after his red card has come back as he always does. Having you know, he, he wants to sort of prove himself, and I think that's the sort of way that he he gets his kicks in life or something because he's been pretty consistent. Obviously, Thomas Partey has started to come back to full fitness, which I think has helped. And then Bukayo Saka moving over to the right hand side in tandem with Emil Smith Rowe down the middle has basically been the main thing. We've just been playing you know, more offensively. And I think the massive issue before was just, we were not, there was nothing being created. And so just an injection of a bit more creativity and, you know, um, directness and playing it forward. Lacazette has more players to combine with when he plays. Aubameyang has started to get more touches. He scored a few goals. Martinelli has been around the place. He, he made a great contribution right at the beginning as well. Um, so yeah, it's just like an injection of something different and, we've moved away from that sort of rigid structure-based keep it tight at the back, um, I suppose, approach and been more given the keys to, to Smith-Rowe and Saka, really, and been like, you know, you guys can make the stuff happen and let Kieran Tierney bomb forward and hopefully Aubameyang can pop up with a few goals. So the team's looking a lot more balanced and less... Yeah, static, and it just seems to be a bit smoother. I mean, don't get me wrong; we're we're just getting out of the of the of the rut. But I think you know, it's we've got a tough run of games coming up now. So again, the sort of pro the short term progress that's that's been made over the last month will be tested uh, against Southampton tomorrow against United. Um, so yeah, that's sort of what my thoughts on Arsenal are at the moment. And I mean, just to say in terms of difficult runs of form, I did forget to mention earlier, I think it's worth mentioning in terms of Liverpool, they played United last week and in their next seven games, they're playing the other five teams in the top seven that aren't United and Liverpool, obviously. Yeah. Um, so if you think your upcoming fixtures are tough, spare a thought for uh, for Jürgen. Uh, I've got to mention that before. <laughs> that quite insane run of run of fixtures have been, have been dealt. Yeah, but it is an insane run, but you think of the games that they've struggled in recently. They drew to Brighton... Recently, drawn to Fulham, lost to Southampton, drawn to Newcastle, lost to Burnley. You know, all these games, which they, they've been playing all the teams literally at the bottom of the table, drawn to West Brom. It's crazy. I mean, just returning back to us, that was a tangent I didn't really expect to make. I just uh, thought that was just worth mentioning. Um, mm. But I, I, I agree, really, when you've got a defence that did seem to be as shaky as yours and you've got the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette and all these players up front, it seems a bit ridiculous to have to put so much responsibility on the defenders that they seem like a quite strange kind of balance to be trying to strike. Um, but obviously, you have had an upturn in defensive form recently. If you kind of settled, do you think, on, on, on centre-backs? Because obviously, you've been through kind of Mustafi, Louise, all those kind of players. Well, this is another thing. So, you know, again, it's, it's an off-field, perhaps... Um, factor that has maybe contributed to, to an improved mood but obviously you know we won a few games the transfer window opened we were able to get you know recently Ozil out of the equation Socrates um, William Saliba the young centre-back out on loan because we had to, and say Kalasinac so we just had loads of players senior players not playing in and around the squad so I think it just became 
toxic on top of losses and all of that sort of thing. But yeah, as you say, it looks like we've settled on a back four because before we were switching between a four and a five and in the big games, we we sort of start with a five. Um, and yeah, those the two centre-backs who'd start um, if they were fit would be Rob Holding and Pablo Mari. Um, I think I'm not sure Pablo Mari will be fit enough to for Tuesday or the United game. So I think probably it would be David Luiz because Gabriel... Our other centre-backs just come back from co- having COVID. Um, he struggled quite a lot on the weekend against Southampton. But yeah, that centre-back pairing of Rob Holding and someone else is pretty much the go-to at the moment. And then Tierney on the left, Bellerin on the right. I mean, Cedric Suarez played quite well against Newcastle last week. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's quite settled at the moment. Just to jump in on that, uh, about Gabriel coming back coming back from COVID, it's quite a strange one. I mean, obviously, we all know that it's a, when you get it, it, you know, you can suffer the, the effects for for a long time. So, I mean, I know my my flatmate had it and couldn't taste any food for like three months. So it's not, it's mm-hmm. not as we all know, it's it's not it's not a normal illness. But you never, you, you hear footballers miss games with illness before, like they might have a little bug and miss a weekend fiction. They'll be back in the team by the midweek. It's, it is a new a new concept for players to be missing several games because of illness. And then once they've recovered, it still take a long time to get back to stop their form, isn't it? Absolutely. I think, you know, the whole landscape of football in terms of what's allowed and what's not obviously has changed. You think of Gabriel, he's a young sort of guy, he's 22, Brazilian, just first season in English football, was playing really well, then gets sent off um, against Southampton a month ago, then gets covid sort of probably stuck at home if he can't be in and around the training group what does that do for his you know his fitness and and sort of I don't know just the momentum he's built up and then you have the you know we don't know really the long-term health health effects you know we we were used to hearing Frank Lampard talk about Kai Havertz and how drastically he was affected by it so I think you know we're not sure exactly how you know, players' fitness, physical fitness, but then also, like you say, the sort of other things that come with COVID at the moment um, are affecting their comeback periods. Because some players, are, you know, they'll miss a game and then they'll be back and they'll have had COVID. Um, you know, Danny Ings, I think, like a couple of weeks ago, tested positive and then he was back within the week. Um, so I think it just depends, really. Uh, one, one final point I just wanted to make tonight is, I mean, it's related to the, the COVID situation, but not really. Um, just one final point, just to do with kind of the Arsenal against Man United fixture. It's obviously a rivalry. Um, I don't know. Do you think it's as well known abroad as some of these the foreign players that come in? Do you think it's a, a rivalry that really needs the fans to be there for, to to really ignite, or do you think it? You know, do you think the players can do it just without, without? I don't think it's not really the. Um, I think you know both the teams will be massively up for it. I think they know that these teams um there is a certain degree of whoever wins has the bragging rights i'm not saying you know at the moment obviously united are sort of ahead of arsenal in terms of where they are generally in the league also but yeah i think this rivalry has definitely um become less intense over the years and obviously a big part of that at the moment is the fans absence but i do think just the sets of players and sort of the way that arsenal and manchester united have sort of not fallen from grace, but, you know, we're no longer the two best teams in the league and haven't been for quite some time. So I think with that comes a pedigree of player and a sort of type of team and manager who, yeah, the rivalry is just different to how it was. And I think, yeah, it's a different sort of contest at the moment, but take nothing away from 
how competitive I expect it to be on, on Saturday. I think Arsenal will be massively up for it and I'm sure United will be too. I'm not going to ask for predictions because <laughs> they're seldom correct. And I know you predict an Arsenal victory and I'd probably predict United victory. Or maybe knowing was it may even have been the other way around. I don't know. There was a... <laughs> but um, I won't ask because no point because I'll definitely be wrong. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's certainly one to, to watch out for. Saturday evening, isn't it? I think it's 5.30 kickoff on. Saturday, 5.30, yeah. Definitely the game to watch this weekend. Um, it's a bit of cliche, bit cliche, but I think it's definitely a, a massive game in both sides seasons, um, for for different reasons, as is the mm. other cliche. But uh, I think it's certainly. <laughs> um, so uh, I think we'll leave it there tonight. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining me again. Uh, we'll get going for another term, but be slightly different. I'll have a different background behind me on the Zoom call this term, probably. Um, actually, you've gone for a bit of variety today as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did actually. I managed to make it up to Edinburgh. Um, so my my grandparents, who aren't in Edinburgh, they have a place here. So I sort of have to do a, an occasional bit of housekeeping for them. So I just thought I'd I'd put myself in here for some variation, you know. Oh, there we go. So, uh, <laughs> well, we'll see how many different places we can both. Uh, I might go on a bit of tour around my house this this term. Yeah, exactly. I'm just limited to one room in my flat. So we'll see. Um, thanks for joining me again. Um, no this week, obviously, Alfie. I would wish you good luck in the game on Saturday, but it's not really my interest to do so. No, um, well, likewise, of course. <laughs> All right, brilliant. See you next week.